Let's uh, open up to the book of James. And we are going to make our way almost to the end of chapter 1. We're going to leave off verse 27 for next week and pull that into chapter 2. James has lots to say to us about godly wisdom, both where we lack it, but also where we can ask for it. So this morning we are helping James, or James is helping us listen for wisdom from God. How do we listen? How do we cultivate our ability to hear what is wise and good? I don't know if any of you are familiar with Walker Percy. He's a great novelist from the 20th century, Catholic writer. Uh, and in one of his more famous novels, The Moviegoer, there's this great quote about listening. The character in the novel says, I have discovered that most people have no one to talk to. No one, that is, who really wants to listen. And when it does, at last, dawn on a man that you really want to hear about his business. The look that comes over his face is something to see. The look that comes over his face is something to see. Do you have people in your life who you feel like really listen to you? that you feel like are listening to your life well, consistently, deeply. How about those around you? Would you say that others would describe you as someone who listens well to them, who really hears what they desire to share, what's, what's going on under the surface? If Walker Percy is, is accurate in his assessment, it would suggest that most of us go through life operating from a listening deficit. We've, we've kind of gotten used to, we've gotten accustomed to having a, a world which is hard of hearing. And so we need to think about what would motivate us, what would compel us to grow as listeners. What if listening were a matter of life and death? There's a, a popular author and speaker named Dan Oblinger, and he, he writes and speaks specifically about the art of listening, active listening. And he says some of the most valuable growth he has experienced in learning what it takes to listen well has actually come from life or death situations, from times of intense conflict. Because for several decades, Oblinger worked as a hostage negotiator. He says it's, it's one thing to, to listen to someone you like. It's one thing to listen to someone in polite conversation. It's another thing to listen to someone who's hostile to you. It's another thing to listen to someone who's making threats. There's not a lot that in that scenario would compel you. It doesn't give you warm fuzzies, right, to listen to someone shouting at you. But his point is that good listening takes practice. It's something we learn how to do. It takes skill, cultivation. 
And one of the principles that Oblinger highlights, he says that he's learned through these life or death scenarios, is how to listen to people regardless. Regardless of what they do or don't know, regardless of what they do or don't value, regardless of their, their social skills and how well they listen back to you. He says he's learned to afford individuals and persons the chance to be heard simply because they are someone looking for someone else to listen. This is a fundamental human need, Oblinger says, to be heard. And he says, too often we use conflict. We use our differences in relationships to justify poor listening. Right? Usually when, when conflict enters a conversation, a wall goes up. And we, we kind of sort of take a step back, maybe our guard comes up, and we, we use conflict as a reason to block what someone else might want to say to us. And it prevents us from, from really hearing and, and, and understanding what's beneath the surface. But Oblinger says that, that it should be precisely the other way around. It's actually when we are in relational difference, when we're in relational conflict, that listening is most valuable and listening is most necessary. Because it's the only way we get to find out why we have differences, he says. Right? We have an opportunity to, to pull down that wall and begin to understand something we don't presently understand. And that is this other person, this other individual, this other group's perspective. So how do we grow to be better listeners? Well, in James chapter 1 this morning, we have a master class on listening for true wisdom. And I want to break down these verses into to sort of four pieces that I think James offers us. The first thing we need to be wise listeners is to slow down, to recalibrate the speed of our communication and relationships. The second thing is we must attend to what's going on inside of us, what's in our hearts, what's beneath the surface. The third thing is we need then to begin to listen and hear the word God is speaking, speaking or, or has spoken to us. And then fourthly, and lastly, in response, we have to choose our words, our responses, carefully. So we need to slow down. We need to attend to what's inside of us. We need to hear the word God has spoken. And then we need to choose our words carefully. So if you brought your notebook along this morning, you'll know we've been writing out the text uh, of James, verse by verse. I invite you to grab uh, your notebook and a pen and, and write with me as we jump into verse 19. Let me pray for us as we do that. Lord, again, we want to be wise. We want to be mature and complete in our faith. We want to grow up into the image and likeness of the living word, Jesus, your son. Lord, 
In order to do that, we confess that we lack wisdom. We often lack skill to listen, humility to listen. So Lord, now, as I begin to preach this text, may the words of my mouth that I speak be grounded in the living wisdom of Jesus Christ. May the meditations of our hearts, each of us, as we listen and receive the word, may they be humble and attentive and quick to respond. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. This is James 1, 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. You can take note of it by writing it out if you'd like. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to to become angry. This verse, in many ways, functions like a main idea statement or like a, a table of contents for, for the rest of what we get here in chapter 1. And, and James is going to go back to each piece of this verse and, and unpack it more fully in verses 20 to 27. But the first thing James tells us as he gives us this main idea statement is he commands us to adjust the speed limits of our communication. He wants us to, to take stock of, of how fast or slow we're moving at particular points in, in our relationships. And he knows as human beings, most of us speed up when we have something we want to say. Right? When we have a point to make, when we have an argument to vindicate ourselves in, we move quickly. Right, to strike, quickly to speak, quickly to action. Even more so when, when anger or, or deep emotion is driving what we want to say. We move even faster. Right? And we want to respond. We want to react. We want to provoke even maybe the people around us. The thing we are most hesitant to do to listen. And that's precisely why James wants to, to recalibrate our gearbox here. And he counsels us to be quick where we're slow and to be slow where we are quick. We must slow down, he says, our desire to speak first, to get the first word in. We must slow down our temptation to become angry quickly and to let that carry us away in a conversation. And we must actively quicken, invest our energy into being listeners who notice what's being shared with us. Listening is a skill, and, and James is all about reminding us that, that to grow up in godly wisdom takes practice. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. 
Most of us don't want to invest the time it takes to be good listeners. I remember back uh, to the first year Katie and I were married, we were invited, we were working as teachers, and the organization we were teaching with had a, a holiday weekend. And they said, we've got this great idea, we're gonna offer a couples communication class over the holiday weekend. I think both of us kind of thought, man, we don't, we really wanna spend like three or four days in a classroom learning how to listen to each other. We could be out doing, you know, a hundred other things. But we sensed this was probably something we, we needed that would be a valuable investment, and so we signed up. And for those three or four days, we, we learned how to communicate, and particularly how to slow down the process of communication in our relationship. And they, they trained us in something that many of you have probably been a part of called active listening. And they even had, they had these mats. They were like physical carpets that you would stand on. And, and as you took turns listening to each other and took turns sharing with one another, you would, you would stand on one part of the carpet and say, I feel this about this particular issue, or I'm thinking this, or I desire this, or I'd really like for you to understand this. There were all these different sort of places to stand and, and, and uh, sort of stages of communication to go through. But the, the, the premise was that usually when we get into conflict, we, we speed up our communication, we put up that wall of defense, and we don't ever really listen to what the other person says. Instead, we want to we build this defense barrier, or we want to strike first before the other person can get going. To listen well means we need to slow down. And so we would do that by taking turns. If you've been in a, an active listening situation, if you come into my office and you, you want to work through a conflict with someone or couples counseling, right, often we'll, we'll say, all right, help me understand what the conflict is, and I want you to just listen to what this person has to say. Don't interrupt them. Just listen actively to what they want to share with you. And at the end of that time, you can summarize, say, I think I hear you saying, right, we've all done this before, is there anything else you'd like to share with me? Have I really heard you? Right, that's always the last question you ask. Have I heard you? And, and only that other person has the right to define whether they've been heard or not, or, or whether they, they hear you assuming some things that aren't the case, and then you can go back and, and listen more carefully in that place. To go through those exercises, usually when I, when I do that with couples, it's a little awkward at first. It's a little tedious at first because it slows us down. But I think James's point here is that we need to slow down. We need to, 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 to take that time because we need to better understand what's going on inside of us when we're listening, when we're communicating, what's happening on the interior. And so in verses 20 and following, James begins to probe a little deeper into the things that are happening in our hearts as we listen. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, verse 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, Get rid of all moral filth 
and the evil that is so prevalent. And instead, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. When we slow down enough to listen, we probably also begin to notice there are things happening within us. And we need to, to cultivate, we need to attend to the, the soils of our person, our heart. Throughout the, the Hebrew scriptures, wisdom is frequently defined or, or described as a living thing. It's a growing thing. In some cases, the, the Proverbs or, or the New Testament even personifies wisdom in different ways. And in James here in chapter 1, the word of God and the wisdom of God is described organically, like a living plant. Back in verse 18, which we looked at last week, James tells us that God has given birth to us through the word of truth so that we might be the first fruits, like, like the first signs of fruitfulness in all of creation. So, so wisdom or the word of God has this living capability. It, it's like a seed planted that, that has given birth to us and given birth to, to fruitfulness and life in us. And here at the end of verse 20, James describes the word and wisdom of God again like a seed planted in soil. But in order for, for organic things, in order for living things to grow, we know that the kind of soil they're planted in matters. Right? There, are, there are lots of parables about that in the Gospels. And I think James is working with a similar metaphor here. He knows that if, if there are too many weeds, if there are too many toxins present within us, then, then those seeds planted in us never, never get to fruition. They never begin to bloom. And so that's where the work of cultivation comes in. And in verse 20, James wants to warn us against letting anger spread freely through our persons, freely through the garden of our souls. He warns us against that because he knows that anger shuts down our ability to listen well. The subcultures that I think you and I swim in, doesn't matter what they are, it could be conservative subculture, it could be progressive subculture, it could be whatever flavor of subculture you tend to, to respond to or, or read in. Increasingly, most of our subcultures have become quick to anger, quick to be responsive, quick to assign labels. And a sign of, of increasing impatience is that we dismiss other groups of people and, and we suggest that they do not have the right to speak. They do not have the right to share with us their perspective. They do not have the right to be heard. And what fuels that, that motivation is this resentment, this anger within us. In James's own day, there was the zealot movement. And the, the zealot movement was fueled by anger and resentment among the people over uh, the occupation of Rome. 
right there in, in Israel or Palestine. And the zealots in particular looked to take the anger of the people and to, to foment it, to, to stir it up so that they might uh, translate that into a violent uprising. And, and shortly after James's martyrdom, that, that took place in, in the decade which followed. And uh, the results were disastrous. The problem, James says, about the, the kind of anger that you and I are, are prone to is that it does not produce what we hope for. James says, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Too often, our anger gets, gets mixed up with other things. It, it's not righteous anger. It, it gets sort of perverted or misdirected with what James calls moral filth and evil. They attach themselves to our anger. The words he chooses here are, are words that describe kind of grimy, dirty, soiled stuff. Maybe you can identify with that if you've gone, you know, through your social media feed or you've had a gripe session with a friend or a neighbor and you kind of walk away feeling like your soul needs a bath. Right? Like you, you need to sort of detach all this stuff from you. When do you find yourself in, in that place? When is kind of anger and the desire to blame other people most prevalent in you? When do you notice that kind of residue sticking to who you are and your emotions and your responses? When do you find it hard to listen well? What, what triggers you? James urges us here in verse 21, he says, get rid of those habits, right? Remove those things, pull up those weeds, cultivate your life so that those things do not attach themselves to you. And he offers an antidote instead. He says, the way we begin to do that is by practicing humility. Making ourselves low enough, slow enough, still enough to accept an outside voice. At the end of verse 21, he says, humbly accept the word planted in you. And here he's referring to that living word from verse 18. That's given birth to you in the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel spoken to you. The wisdom of God freely and generously given to you. Humbly accept that word, James says. Find it inside of you because the Holy Spirit has placed it there and is speaking to you. And humility is, is, again, a change of speed. It's a change of attitude. It's a change of posture. Because in humility, we assume there's more for us to learn. In humility, we assume there's more for us to receive. In humility, we assume that there is more for us to understand. In humility, we assume that God has something to say to us. And we need to, to open up space to receive it. Let me invite you to consider making that an exercise in prayer 
this week. If you find yourself angry or, or, or kind of wanting to respond to someone or something in, in a way that just kind of feels like, like things are, are weighty or clinging to you, Imagine sort of bringing that, noticing that, and, and then beginning to offer that to God, to, to, to ask him for his help to, to remove that, to cultivate it, to pull out those things that cause bitterness and anger in our spirit. And as he, he clears out that space, then ask him to begin to speak. Ask the Lord, what word have you planted in me instead? Help me to listen to that word. Lord, help it to grow up in me. Because James says, that has the power to save. Or, or that same word means it has the power to heal. It has the power to restore. It has the power to make us whole. So James says we need to slow down long enough to listen. As we slow down, we need to attend to what's going on within us. What blocks us from listening to what God wants to say to us? And then in verses 22 through 25, James wants us to help us not only hear the word, but begin to act upon it. I'm going to read through this, and I know there's a lot to copy down. If you don't get all the way through it, that's okay. We can, you, can, you can do that after the message this morning. Verse 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that perfect word that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. They'll be made fruitful. Life will come from what they do. When James tells us back in verse 19, to be quick to listen. What he doesn't say is, listen quickly. Get through your listening as fast as you can. What he means is, give listening first priority. Give that concentrated attention to the word God has planted in you. But as we concentrate on the word God is speaking, now James asks us, what are you going to do about it? What comes after listening? Parents, I'm sure you can identify with giving instructions to someone in your household. And they, they nod and they, they do this, and then they go away and they don't do anything. You've just asked them to do. I think probably all of us are, are prone to say yes to something and then fail to do it. And usually that happens because we've made listening a passive exercise, right? We're, we're receiving, there's input coming in, but there's not a response coming back out of us. And James knows that in any 
spiritual and any religious community, there's a temptation to make wisdom, to make hearing God's word a passive exercise. Is hearing God's word about listening to this sermon on Sunday morning? Is listening to God's word about reading lots of Christian books? Is it about streaming messages throughout the week? Is it about debating finer points of theology? Of course, we we need to hear what the word of God says. But sometimes we can can become so passive in that exercise that we preclude ourselves from ever doing what we're studying, what we're listening to. James warns us, he says, do not be deceived. Don't fall into that trap of just being preoccupied with listening, just being preoccupied with hearing. James says God's word is meant to do something in us. It's meant to do something to us. It's meant to do something through us. And James says, if you're not doing the word you're hearing, you make yourself into a fool. And he gives this illustration, right, of of gazing into a mirror, right? And, And mirrors in the ancient world were not particularly clear things. You'd have to spend some time in front of them to notice, you know, where's their dirt on my face? Where is my hair kind of all over the place. And then you would need to go away and and do something about it. He says, what fool would go and and gaze in a mirror for for minutes, perhaps, not just a few seconds, for for five or six minutes to see themselves clearly and then go away and and do nothing about it? He says, in the same way, too often we we hear Scripture. we, We notice Scripture. We're given the wisdom of God. And then immediately forget. As soon as it asks anything of us, we, we put it aside. We neglect it. We drop it. James says, do not be deceived. But instead, let the word come to you continuously. Come back to it. And then begin to take steps to act on it. So let me ask you two questions. What word is God speaking to you? That's that's the first half of this equation. What word has God been speaking to you specifically? Right? What, What truth, what command, maybe it's a verse, maybe it's a passage, what nudge maybe in your spirit have you been hearing from God recently? Try to be as concrete and specific as possible. Maybe God's been nudging you to have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody. Maybe God's been nudging you or speaking to you about forgiveness. Maybe God's been pushing you to to reach out, to to welcome someone into your life. Maybe God's been nudging you to give sacrificially in some way. What is God speaking to you? Secondly, what are you doing about it? Where are you responding? Is there any any sign, any evidence that you have not just passively, but now actively heard what God said? Verse 25 reminds us that if we move forward with the word, if, if we take it in and receive it and begin to do what God has planted in us, that we will be blessed. Right? That, that that 
that garden of our soul will be cultivated and fruitful. So we've unpacked what it means to be slow to anger, right? To, to rid ourselves of what's unhelpful about that. We've considered what it means not only to be quick to listen, but then to be obedient in our listening, to be responsive in our listening. And finally, James has one final verse here to help us unpack what it means to be slow to speak. Verse 26. He says, Those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Again, James warns us here of a picture of a person divided. Someone who in their mind, in their intellect, maybe in their self-estimation thinks, I'm religiously serious, I'm, I'm a spiritual person, only for their mouth to, to go in a different direction, to, to undo them when they begin to speak. New Testament commentator Craig Blomberg says about this verse, he says, sometimes our tongues almost operate like a separate entity that destroy a person. Sadly, we have plenty of evidence, right, of this in our public leaders, right? We have people who hold public office. We have people who lead churches. We have people who lead companies and organizations who can destroy, can undermine entire careers with, with one stroke of their tongue, with thoughtless speech, with harmful speech. But for every you know, public undoing of someone through speech, I could give you multiple examples of, of family members, of church members, of, of individual persons and friends, right? who with a thoughtless comment or with a, a rant on Facebook or with some kind of, kind of presumptive commentary about an issue or a person, have, have wounded, have broken apart relationships. Right? With just a few words, James says, the worth, the credibility of our faith can be emptied of its value. We can undermine what God desires to do in us, what, what God desires to do in us. So instead, James says, choose your words carefully, bridle your tongue, rein in your speech. When we get to James 3, there, there's going to be lots of, of information about that. But for now, let me invite you to, to simply do this. When you notice that your words are getting away from you, when you notice that anger is directing your words, when you're tempted to let loose when your words, just, just begin to notice that that's happening. Take stock of that and shut up. Stop talking in those moments. Be still. Right? Slow down as James has counseled us. And consider what word the Spirit is speaking instead. Give yourself permission to be quiet, to say less. And instead, hear the word God has planted in you.
a word which has the power to save.